Would you please stand? Lewis comes this morning to read our scripture for us. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and then he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew three thirteen through 17. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Way back in the 12th century, there was a small French parish out in the foot hills of some mountains that had become very famous. Its worshipers that were a part of this little village were used to coming to worship, and, and they were always looking to this moment, this high point in worship, when there was a crucifix of Jesus, a statue, and, and the Jesus on that crucifix, his head and his eyes and his tongue would move. And the legend of, of this happening began to spread all over France and Germany and other places. And so pilgrims would come to this old 12th century cathedral, this little church, regularly so that they could see the magic, mysterious movement of the Jesus statue. Today you can view that crucifix and the Jesus statue on display in the Cluny Museum in Paris along with the pedal and the iron rod and the springs that were used by the priests to operate it. Far many times throughout history, the church, rather than presenting Christ as Lord, has presented Christ as a caricature. We too have been guilty at times of presenting a very shallow and watered-down version of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But today's text makes doing that almost impossible because this is one of the most magnificent moments in all of the Bible, certainly in all of the New Testament, where we see testimony given from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the moment that Jesus was baptized, the moment that, that his public ministry was really initiated, that, that the Lord showed up in a way that is really not paralleled in many other places in the Bible. In fact, this is one of the rare stories that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. This was so important, so essential for early Christians to communicate who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this and they talk about its impact and they talk about this as the moment when Jesus began his earthly ministry but also the moment that was so intricately connected to John the Baptist the one who God had called and set aside as the forerunner who would prepare the way for Jesus and for this moment when Jesus would begin his ministry so I want to just prepare you in advance as we get a little bit deeper into the text today that we are going to take a deep dive. Now, I think you can handle it. I think we can handle it, okay? But it's going to take some work. 
So I want to encourage you to, to get ready. Crack your knuckles if you need to, okay? Stretch out just a little bit. This is a, a deep passage theologically. We're going to dive into it together. It doesn't mean it's going to be a longer sermon, okay? But it is going to take some hard work. And so I want to challenge you, prepare your heart. Let's dig in. And as we dig into this very pivotal New Testament text, I also want us to, to break out some very clear applications for us and what this says in our lives. So starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, what we really see here is an example of God's call. And I believe that each and every one of us, though, we're different than John the Baptist and what we've been prepared to do. Each and every one of us, if we are disciples, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, you and me, each of us, we have a call on our lives as well. Now, some of us have received what we would describe as a, a call to vocational ministry. That happened to me when I was 15 years old. I can remember clearly knowing that the Lord was saying to me in one particular moment, I want you to set aside all of your career goals and your future goals, and I want you to commit the, the rest of your life to serving in the church, to being in vocational ministry. Some of you had that call on your lives as well. There are others who receive what's more like a missionary call, that sense that God is saying to you, to your family, I want you to pick up and I want you to go. And I want you to move to another place and plant your life there. And as you plant your life there, I want you to, to be a living word of the gospel to the people among whom I've sent you. So some get that, that vocational call, some get that missionary call. But again, I believe each and every one of us have a call from the Lord as disciples as followers of Jesus, even if it isn't that vocational call or that missionary call. I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I know for sure that what I'm doing right now, God has called me to do it. He has called me to be in this job, to lead my family, to do this thing that I'm doing. God has made sure I realize that he has me in this place, in this time, according to his will. And he has called me during this time and in this place to use my gifts and my abilities and all that he's blessed me with to be a blessing to others and to be active and intentional about sharing the love of Christ with others in that place or in this time in which I live. Each of us have a calling and no matter what that calling is, for every single one of us, it is a matter of obedience. And so I want to ask you today, are you living in full obedience to Christ and to the calling that he has given you in your life? If you can't say for sure today that that is the case, then let me also tell you there is no better time than today to get that in the right order. To say to the Lord, I want you to show me, map out that path in front of me clearly so that I know what the calling is is you've placed on my life and i'm willing say to him today i'm willing to put my yes on the table and lord wherever you put it that that's where i'll go that's what i will do if you have have sensed that call on your life here here are a couple of other questions for you how has god's call been affirmed in your life do, do you feel that that affirmation as a part of your regular daily relationship with god 
in the time that you spend with him do you do you feel that there's a constant communication and affirmation where God is saying yes I have you in this place in this time for this reason and you say yes Lord I know that and and I'm seeking I'm doing my best to to live it out has that call of God been affirmed by others are there others who have said to you I I see the evidence of God working in your life and the call that he has on you and and they've affirmed that in you has it been affirmed here in our church do you, do, you, do you feel that from your church family that, that you have a place here where you are serving and, and giving of yourself? And your church family says, yes, we affirm that. And, and maybe part of this is church family. We need to affirm others a little more. To find someone that you, you see who is, is really serving and living out their faith. God's call is evident. And tell them, tell them, affirm them that you see the evidence of that in their life. And is God's call on your life being affirmed by the impact? That you can see that the impact of God's call on your life is it is making a difference for the good of others and in the lives of others. Listen, some people hear a clear call from God early on in their journey of faith. Some people have an experience like I had that in one particular moment I heard it and I knew it was from him. But for others, sometimes it, that, that call is a, is a longer journey. It's the product of a, a faithful, obedient walk with the Lord where he continues to reveal to you, to us, what that calling looks like. John the Baptist was one who essentially always knew his calling. In fact, if you remember back to our Advent stories, there's that amazing moment where John hasn't even been born yet. And yet the, the Holy Spirit of God is clearly present in his life and fills him up. We, we talked about the, the sanctity of life this morning, the importance of, of the preborn and, and, and affirming that image of God in the womb when, when, when the child is from conception to the point of birth and after. In what is one of the most pro-sanctity of life passages in Scripture, remember that moment when the Spirit filled the womb of Elizabeth. And John the Baptist, who, who Elizabeth was carrying, he hears the voice of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has entered their home. And Mary greets Elizabeth. And when John hears the voice of the mother of Jesus, Mary, who is carrying Jesus in her own womb, the Spirit of God fills Elizabeth and fills little John. And John gives his mother a Spirit-filled kick, right? When he hears the voice of the mother of the Lord, he responds from from the earliest moments in his life i i imagine that from the moment john the baptist first understood words surely he kept hearing over and over again as he grew up and he will go on before the lord in the spirit and the power of elijah to make ready a people prepared for the lord how many times did john Hear those words from Malachi that we read a moment ago as he was growing up. This is you. This is what the angel told us would, would be your role, your calling. This is how the Spirit of God is going to work in you. And now, here in Matthew chapter 3, John has been active in his public ministry for a while. Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. And he comes from Galilee to the area of the Jordan where John was baptizing and he comes for the purpose of being baptized by 
John. And I believe, to come back to that word affirm for a moment, that one of the reasons Jesus did this, that, that he was baptized by John, was an affirmation of John's own public ministry. This is a way that Jesus was confirming for others who would, would follow him. Indeed, the word of God has come to John. We talked about that last week, that the word of God came not in this moment through the temple, not through the priesthood, not through the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, not through Herod, not through anybody who claimed to be God's authority, but out to this strange wild man in the wilderness who was put in the position to proclaim the word of God. And Jesus comes to John and affirms it. Yes, indeed, what you've been hearing from him is from the Lord. But I also love that John, more than anyone else, was surprised by what happened next. When, when John realizes that, that Jesus wants to be baptized by him, John struggles with this second application. So the first is that call of God that each of us have on our lives. The second is the, the intentional act of surrendering to that call and surrendering to God's will in our life. John struggles here to surrender. In fact, he tries to deter Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And of course, I think we can understand John's hesitance because as we've read these first couple weeks in this series, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so we too ask the question, well, why did Jesus come to be baptized by John when he had nothing for which he needed to repent and he had no sins for which he needed to be forgiven? John knows the message he's been proclaiming. He knows that, that the people who are coming to him are, are unclean and, and they are coming as, as this act of submission to God and his will to be baptized as an act of repentance so that they can be confident that their sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't need any of that, so why does he come to John? And John says, why in the world are you coming to me? As I was thinking about this part of the story, it reminded me of, of an event that happened in my life a couple of years ago when I was traveling. Actually, I was here, I was in the Tulsa International Airport. I was going through the security line and I noticed that a couple of lines over was one of my pastor friends. And so I intended, you know, after we got our, collected our bags and everything that, that I was gonna say hello to him and catch up, figure out where he was going and then we, we'd move on our way. Well, it turns out that as I'm gathering my things, I see my pastor friend has been accosted by TSA security and they're taking him away. So I move a little bit closer because I, I want to figure out what's happening. And apparently what my pastor friend had done, he, he brought a bag that he carries with him regularly as his carry-on. And he had forgotten to take out of the side pocket his, his conceal-and-carry pistol, okay? So yes, my pastor friend brought a gun to the airport, okay, and made it appear like he was going to get on the plane. So I didn't say a word to him. I, I talked to him later. I said, hey, I saw that whole thing. And he said, you didn't even say hello. Were you ashamed of me? And I said, absolutely. I, I mean, no, I wasn't ashamed of you, but I certainly didn't want anybody to think we were together, right? I, I, I didn't want them to think that, that I was an accomplice in any way. 
what John says to Jesus is exactly the opposite. John says to Jesus, why do you want to associate with me? I, I, I don't understand. Why, why are you coming to me and identifying with me and associating with me? I shouldn't baptize you. You should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus replied, let this be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John, in a very intentional act here, consented. He surrendered to God's will. But I also notice, and it makes me feel a little bit better about some of my own struggles, that John, yes, he did surrender to God's will, but it didn't come without some wrestling and some questioning and even it seems like John is saying, Jesus, are you really sure this is what we should do? Now, for, for us, we look back on this and we say, well, it should be easy, right? If Jesus tells you to do it, then we know it's okay, okay? If Jesus says to do it, green light, blank check, okay, we, we can do that. But, but John is not the only one we find in the New Testament who, who questions, who wonders. We, we find later on with Jesus' disciples, they, they too will say things like, Jesus are you really sure we should do this? Jesus, you shouldn't wash my feet, right? I should wash yours. Jesus, are you really sure we should go to that place? Maybe you haven't heard, but those people hate us. And that, that place is dangerous. Surely you don't want us to go through there. Or, or Jesus, it's the Sabbath. We can't do this. We're not supposed to do this. It's the Sabbath. Jesus, are you sure? John the Baptist, even Jesus' own disciples at times, they wondered if, if, if God really knew what he was doing, right? But Jesus says, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And, and John, though he wrestled, though he struggled, he surrendered to God's will. And throughout Scripture, we find people. Throughout the history of church, we find people. And I think we would probably say, hopefully most of us in this room, that this has been true in our lives at some point, that God has a way of using people who surrender in faith to his will, who don't always understand, who certainly don't know all of the outcomes that will follow, but in faith say, yes, Lord, I surrender to your will, and I surrender all to you. That, that, that the highest purpose of my life is that your name would be glorified and that, Jesus, your kingdom would be advanced. And so though I don't understand it all and, and I'm not sure where it's headed, I surrender all to you. John did that. He consented. And thus, Jesus was baptized. And, and as we ask this question about, well, well why was Jesus baptized by, by John? Was it necessary or, or was it merely symbolic? Well, consider this for a moment. Jesus never wasted anything in his public ministry. So was this necessary? No, well, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to receive forgiveness. It wasn't necessary for Jesus to undergo an act of, of obedient repentance. But Jesus said it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And, and its symbolism is incredibly meaningful for us. Now, again, I warned you, today we're going to have to do a little hard work. So we're, we're getting through the hard work, but we have a little bit more to do. I want to just discuss for a minute 
what baptism looked like in the first century and in this moment when John was baptizing. You know, many New Testament Christians miss the fact that Jewish people were being baptized for centuries, long before Christians or especially Baptists came along. Jews underwent baptism and not just once in their life like most Christians do. Most of us say, you know, we, we've undergone a believer's baptism, which means that, that after we have, have experienced the, the, the enlightenment of, of knowing that we've been saved by Jesus Christ, after we've said to him with our mouth, we've confessed Jesus is Lord, then, then publicly in front of others, we undergo a, a believer's baptism as, as a public profession and a testimony of the salvation we've received. And most Christians do that once in their life, or maybe if they do it another time, it's because they, they don't remember or they weren't sure where their, their heart was the first time they did it. The Jews, especially in the first century, were, were baptized regularly. The Hebrew word for this is, is the word mikvah, and if you have visited Israel before, or if you visit Israel with us this year, you'll see mikvahs everywhere, especially in Jesus' day. This was a regular occurrence where, where in preparation, for example, in Judea, before they would go to, to worship, and especially in Jerusalem if they were going to the temple, almost every time they went, to make sure that they were purified, they went through this purification ritual, they would undergo a mikvah. If you wonder what a mikvah looks like, all you have to do is go up these back stairs and visit our baptistry. Not right now, okay? But at some point, if you come up here and look at our baptistry, it is the same design as a mikvah. There's one staircase going in, and the mikvah had a, a natural flowing source of water that was going through it. And then there's another staircase going out. And so the imagery was as, as this act of, of purification that, that in many ways sort of replaced the sacrificing of animals and the sprinkling of blood for the common person, they would walk in through, through those, that staircase into the mikvah. They would be fully immersed in the water, and then they would walk out. And the symbol was, we've walked in unclean. We've gone through this process of purification under the supervision of a priest, and now we are walking out clean. We've, we've been purified. So what was John doing? Well, John had not been endorsed by the powers that be, okay? John couldn't go into the average mikvah to baptize people. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't approved by the Sanhedrin. But he knew that God had given him this unique calling to baptize people with this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he said, well, if I need a natural flowing source of water, how about the Jordan River? And so John was down at the Jordan River and he was baptizing people in a mikvah style for the purification, but, but more so that rather than just going through an empty ritual, that they would hear the message and in their hearts they would truly seek the forgiveness of God. And through this act of being baptized, not in the mikvah, but by John in the Jordan, they would say to God, I am repenting. I am turning my life back to you. So this is the baptism that John was offering. Why did Jesus then undergo this baptism? Well, I believe that it is connected to what we call our believer's baptism. When we baptize someone in our baptistry, we use words that come from the New Testament like Romans chapter 6. 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when a believer is baptized, we say we, we have died to our sins and we have a new life in Jesus Christ. What we're doing with that language is we are identifying with him. We are saying just as Christ was buried, you are buried. And just as Christ rose from the dead, so you have been raised to life through Jesus Christ and you are no longer dead in your transgressions. We are identifying with him. So listen, again, this is hard work. What Jesus was doing through being baptized by John was Jesus was identifying with us. Jesus was saying, even though I'm not a sinner, even though I don't need to repent, I am further identifying with you. I am entering your space, sharing your humanity once again. Even though I don't need this, I choose to do this to fulfill all righteousness, to once again show humanity that, that I have come from heaven to earth to walk among you, to make my dwelling among you, and to identify personally with you. I love the way G. Campbell Morgan said it, much better than I could say it. He said, the baptism of Jesus was the identification of the sinless with the sinner. He who had no sin took his place among those who had sin and needed to repent. So through initiating this moment, Jesus initiated this, asked John to baptize him. Jesus identifies with and affirms John, and he identifies with our humanity, and he demonstrates his willingness to enter our space despite, or maybe better, in spite of our sinfulness, to fulfill all righteousness, to demonstrate clearly to us that he too is surrendering to the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that he would make a way that we can be right with God forever. So you don't have to walk through a mikvah to come to church every Sunday, right? We can be made right with God forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. What happens next is one of the most amazing moments in all of the New Testament. When God's presence is seen through the active participation of all three persons of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all revealing themselves for others to see. In a moment where God's personal presence with us is being demonstrated and God's work among us is, is seen clearly. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There are only a few times in the Bible where all three persons of the Trinity speak and act in the same moment, and it's described and here is one of those moments. The Son is present, submitting himself to this baptism, this moment. The Spirit comes down upon him like a dove and alights on him, and the voice of the Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son, 
in him I am well pleased. What also happens in this moment, and, and, and I hope that if you've never seen this before, it will really, really open up some things for you today. What also happens in this moment is a kingly inauguration. This fits with the ancient traditions of inaugurating a king, including what we see in Scripture. Psalm chapter 2, which we've talked about on our, as a part of our Sunday night study this month, is an example of this, where the psalmist says, quoting God, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. God himself is speaking from heaven at the moment of Jesus' baptism using the same kind of language as Psalm chapter 2 describing the inauguration of a king. Now typically when we as Americans think of inauguration, we picture somebody standing on the steps of the Capitol with their hand on their Bible, right? That, that's our inauguration. The kingly inauguration, the biblical inauguration is so much bigger than that. Because it's not just a, a testimony that this is the will of the people. But it is a, a proclamation that this is the will of God himself. This is God's appointed and anointed king. And look at the ways that Jesus was inaugurated in this moment. First, he, he submitted himself to the baptism. Much like you might picture an ancient king kneeling so that the crown might be placed on his head. Jesus, rather than receiving an earthly crown, he, he submits to this act of purification to demonstrate the righteousness of God. He was baptized, and then he went out of the water, and, and then the king is anointed. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who anoints Jesus as the king, descending upon him like a dove and alighting on him. Jesus is being anointed here as a heavenly king, but there's also something else in play. He's also being anointed as a sacrifice. For the Hebrew people, there, there were two animals that when they were mentioned would always make their mind think of a sacrifice. The first, of course, was a lamb. Well, what's John's testimony continually as he prepares the way for Jesus? Behold who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John's been proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of Sacrifice. Now when the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, again it flags in their mind sacrifice. The, the dove was the, the poor offering, the other sacrifice that the Hebrew people could give for the forgiveness of their sins. And so this is amazing. Jesus is being anointed as king, but he's also being anointed as sacrifice. Sacrifice for what? The Lamb of God who takes away sin. More importantly, the sacrifice for who? The sacrifice for us, who takes away the sins of the world, who is being anointed as a sacrifice here and later will give himself up as a sacrifice so that we might be forgiven. For the forgiveness of sins of those who, who witnessed his ministry publicly, for his disciples, the men, the women, the children who followed him, and for us 2,000 years later who can proclaim the good news of the gospel that Jesus has become our sacrifice and because of him our debt has been paid and we are no longer dead in our sins and transgressions but we are alive in Jesus Christ because we have abundant life in him. Amen? Jesus was anointed as the king 
and the king was anointed as our sacrifice. And finally, the father gave the divine word, the proclamation about the king. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to consider this for just a minute. Who else could have inaugurated the king of kings? I mean, in this moment, John the Baptist is the definition of a non-essential employee, okay? He was not necessary for this moment to take place. Who else could have inaugurated Jesus as the king of kings besides the Father and the Spirit? No Pharisees were needed. The high priest wasn't present, okay? There was no other human authority who could speak this word of affirmation and inauguration for Jesus, but the Father did it. The Spirit did it. The Son was present. And why was John involved? Because this is yet another example of just how much God loves his people. He doesn't really need us. When we talk about surrendering to his will, I hope we realize that if God wants to enforce his will, he will do it. He doesn't really need us to surrender. But again, something beautiful happens when in faith, we as his people surrender to his will and he uses us and he says to us i love you so much that though you're not essential to this i'm going to involve you in it anyway i'm going to let you be a part of my work and as my kingdom advances you get to share in the joy of seeing it happen why was john included i think it was a blessing it was an affirmation and this was a life-changing moment for john Sometimes we get our Johns confused. The Apostle John wrote this about John the Baptist's testimony. John gave this testimony, I saw, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. In other words, I too was sort of confused in this moment. But when the, the Lord spoke, when I saw the Spirit on him, I knew he was the Messiah. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize. He will immerse people with the Holy Spirit, who will live in them and through whom God will work. And John the Baptist says, I have seen and I can testify that this is God's chosen one. As I have to imagine, anybody who would have been there that day would say, yep, we testify. <laughs> we saw the Spirit descend. We heard the voice. There was no doubt the King of Kings was inaugurated in this moment. This was the moment when it all became real for John the Baptist. But as I close today, I also want to connect us to the moment that it becomes even more real for disciples of Jesus Christ. When we talk about God's personal presence with us and his work among us, when I think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being mentioned all together in the same passage, we have to come to Matthew chapter 28 to jump to the end of Matthew's gospel. The Great Commission passage, when you drive up to our building from the north, it's staring you in the face right there when you stop. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of who the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you that we love the great commission passage but it begins in verse 18 
It flows out of this moment where Jesus has been inaugurated as King of Kings. The Father has spoken that affirmation. The Spirit has alighted on him, and Jesus says, the reason I can commission you is because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We saw it at the moment of his baptism. We heard it when the Father proclaimed those words over him. And Jesus says, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, I send you out. You, 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 me. I send you out to go and share that good news and to teach others how to become disciples who also follow Jesus closely and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who were all a part of that moment at Jesus' baptism. And then Jesus himself reminds us of that personal presence, that as we are called to do his work and as he does his work through us, he says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am not sending you out there to do this alone. Jesus Christ, Son of God and Messiah, who by his own initiative was baptized by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the very words of God the Father began his ministry Jesus who was inaugurated as the King of Kings has commissioned us as his people to do his work to surrender our entire hearts and lives to him and when we surrender to God in that way it unlocks for us a clear picture of God's call on our lives and it unleashes in a fresh and new way God's personal presence with us as he leads us and empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do so as we prepare for our time of invitation and response this morning I want us to walk into that with this simple question today are you living in complete surrender to he who holds all authority for heaven and earth in his hands. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that this incredible passage of Scripture, this moment that is beyond any comprehension for us, is yet one that is also very personal. Just as you chose to involve John in this, and, and you reminded us of, of our shared role with you in the work that you're doing so you are are asking each of us to surrender our lives to you lord i pray simply that you would help each person here to have eyes to see and ears to hear your call on their lives lord that you would give them the strength and the gift of faith to surrender to your will and to that call and lord that as we go forward that you would remind each and every one of us of your personal presence with us. And I pray today that if there's anyone here who has never surrendered their heart and life to the King of Kings for the first time, that today, Lord, you would draw them to you and they would make that confession. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.